You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am interviewing Mark Horner. Now, Mark is a high school AP U.S. history and psychology teacher that has been teaching for 22 years in the same district. That's the Talmud City Schools up in Ohio. Now, Mark shares how he struggled with self-value and how college and getting into teaching was a difficult path to navigate, but how he eventually molded his career in the classroom around relationships. Now, we also discuss how this is impacting his teaching style and how other teachers view him. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am delighted today to have a gentleman that I've been wanting to know a lot better, teacher, amazing educator, Mark Horner. Welcome to the show, Mark. Kevin, thank you for having me, man. It is an honor to be here. I am excited. I've been excited all day. I've had like the butterflies (laughs) all day. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome, brother. Hey, just like every episode, before we jump into the content, we always push out the idea of connections before content. We do that in the GTKY format. So Mark, you've kind of been familiar with this. We're going to do this in the flip five. I'll ask you five questions. You flip five back at me. Question number one, Mark, what is your favorite cereal? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I love cinnamon life. And it's kind of obscure right now. But the funny thing is the other day, one of my students had a baggie and it looked like cinnamon life. And I'm like, what are you eating? I said, are you eating cereal? And she's like, yeah. And I go, is that life? Absolutely. It was cinnamon life. I'm like, where did you find that? You know, it's at the local. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go get it. But then, but then I pulled up this video that Mikey likes it. You know, that video. And had to- Oh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we talk over their head or before their time, but no. So I, I love cinnamon life growing up, but I'm really a chocolate. So I'm either like a Cocoa Puffs or a Cocoa Krispies for me. But I do remember cinnamon life. Ah, good memories. Yeah. All right, question number two. How is your sock game, Mark? Do you, are you one of those like, are, do you have a sock game? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, well, you know what? I could go over here to this bag that uh-huh. I just received and pull out my next new pair of uh, socks. So here's a funny story. My sock game was mediocre at the beginning of the school year, but we have an SRO officer here in the building whose his sock game is like on point. Every day he's showing off his socks on, on Twitter. So one day I decided to take a picture of one of like three pairs of socks that I had and post it. Next thing you know, one of the parents of one of my students, she's like, you are going to compete with Officer Quillen. You will have as many socks, if not more, by the end of this year. So on a weekly basis, I get a bag full of socks and I've got basketball, football, Yoda. I mean, my sock game is lit right now. I mean, it is on fire. So, <laughs> well, I'm with you. I just realized the more I started presenting, it would, you know, certain things like socks or shoes or different things, you had to be on point because, you know, it kind of stood out, you know, and, and everybody else was doing it. So I kind of had to join it. So I enjoy the sock game also. Question number three as simple as this Do you have on your phone, do you have a ringtone for a certain friend? Wife, is there a certain ringtone that you have for somebody on your phone? You know what? I don't. I actually don't. Now, I'm not, I was listening to a podcast. It might have been your podcast. Somebody was talking. Actually, I think it was your podcast a couple episodes ago. Somebody was talking about how they mute everything except for 
like their spouse and their kids. So that ring comes through. And I remember listening and thinking, you know what, I got to I got to do that. I got to fix it. But I generally keep my phone muted, to be honest. I keep it silenced and uh, so that I'm not constantly inundated. And then I check it periodically. But I do not have a separate ringtone. I have one ringtone for everybody. Now I have a special name on my phone for my wife. You know, there you go. I love it. I love it. So thinking about that along with phone, are you a talker or a texter? Depends on the time of day. Texting is so convenient and I love shooting out texts, you know, throughout the day and just letting somebody know that I'm thinking about them. I do. There are a couple people. It's a small circle of people that I call on a daily or every other day just to kind of catch up and hear their voices, unless it's something important. You know, if it's like sure. really important or if, I, if there's a concern I have, if, if I'm wondering about how somebody's doing emotionally or whatever, then I will call them. But I've been leaning on Boxer big time. So it's kind of the best of both worlds there. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well said. So I'm kind of like you, I kind of in between certain situations, but I certainly do enjoy a good conversation, particularly when I'm driving. Not that I'm not about text, not not because it's not texting and driving. It's just when I'm driving sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, man, it's a great time to just, it's particularly like a longer drive, you know, 30 minutes or more. It's, it's good to have a good conversation to kind of catch up with people and do things like that. All right. Last question. This is number five. I want you to think, are you Dodgers or the Rays World Series? I'm pulling for the Rays. You know what? I I like both teams. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I do watch. I, I like LA. I like the their coach, and I like I like the you know the con. I, lo- I love his coaching style. But Tam, I, I love the Rays because Justin Sua is a guy that I absolutely love. He's kind of a mental skills coach, uh, sports psychology. I listen to his podcast every single day. I make my students listen to it. It's like a three or four minute quick hitter uh-huh. and he works with the race. So on, on behalf of him, I'm pulling for those guys. <laughs> All right. So my bonus question is exactly how I got you on the show. If you could interview anybody on the relationships and learning podcast, Dr. Prickett said Mark Horner, and I've already had Prickett, so you can't pick him. So who <laughs> would be your guest if you got to interview anybody on the RCL podcast. Well, you know what? And it's funny because I'm looking back through all your guests and they're just people that I admire so much. And when Prickett said my name, it shocked me. I mean, I I felt so honored. I would tell you that I would love to sit down with Taylor Armstrong. All right. And and Che Chaney, those two guys, I, I love their mission. I love their purpose. I lean heavy on both of them for inspiration. So I I'm throwing two out there. Those you got it guys that I would, I would love to just sit down and have have a cup of coffee with and pick their brains. Well, I'm excited about just the men and Ed and having those connections to try to make that happen. So I will look forward to those two next two connections. All right, brother, that was five. You got five for me. Yep. You know what? Okay. So I've been working on these. I, and, and then I was running these by my, uh, my students here in, in class. And now uh, they're like, man, Mr. Horner, those are good questions. And we actually had some interesting discussions. So here you go. We'll start off a little bit light for you. If you had to eat pizza the rest of your life, what toppings would you have on that pizza? Chicken and pepperoni. Yeah, if you've never tried the combination of the two, it's amazing. Ooh, I'm a big pizza fan. I'll have to try that. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I usually go with the banana peppers, black olives, and onions. Those are my go-to. None of those would ever touch my pizza, Mark. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> car- I'm a carnivore. The only, the only thing that I could have added to that pizza would be mushrooms that I'd be okay with. But that's there it. you go. Mushrooms are good too. Yeah, that's it. My three are a healthy compromise between what my <laughs> wife likes and what I like. I love mushrooms, and she's like, no way. So... <laughs> 
There you go. So, Kevin, tell me, what is the most creative date that you've ever <laughs> designed or been on? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Gosh, date. Okay, got to go back in the Rolodex here. Let's think. I can tell you one. It was a long time ago. I was actually engaged to this person. We did not end up getting married, but here's the deal. Um, she picked me up in my house, blindfolded me, drove me around. Had me kind of, you know, and again, trying to disoriented, but guess wherever, and then walked me to different places and all these different things. And then ended up at her house with a surprise party with like 25 people there. But the, the driving and, and the intentionality of trying to disorient me. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely thrown off. That was the most interesting, like, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, that was the way to have a surprise party for me. So I'll go with that one. That definitely sticks out in memory. I like it. All right. Number three, what is one quality that you hope to embody from your parents? What's one quality your parents have that you hope that you, you have as well, or that you aspire to strengthen in your life? Absolutely. I think I'll go with more of my mom than my dad right now. I would just say her ability to literally unconditionally love. And I say there's a difference because I was in the second master's in Christian ministry in agape. You know, agape love is was designed to be defined as unconditional. And I just, my mom loved my brothers despite their drugs and addictions and loved despite everybody. And she just showed this unlitless love and always cared for people, no matter what their circumstances were. And I would love to get to that point where I'm unfiltered and unjudging and unbiased and just love unconditionally. Wow. That's powerful stuff right there. That, and you know what? That's, that's how, uh, you know, when I look at my mom, that's how my mom is. And my dad, you know, he's pretty loved. But my mom, she is just self-sacrificing and she just loves everyone, mm -hmm. even those who have wronged her. Amen to that. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. My mom, I'm like, mom. And she's like, Kevin, you just don't understand. And, <laughs> I, and I will tell you, I mean, I think Mark personally for me at 51, I know we don't know each other and don't connect, you know, other than through our social media and outlets. But I mean, I'm in the most reflective part of my life right now. Like I'm reflecting on decisions and my whys and how I'm wired. And I mean, there's just a lot of, and how I've described that to other people when I've been able to have conversations it's probably the most mature part of my life. I feel mm -hmm. like I hit a level of maturity that I've never experienced before. And it comes from experience and wisdom. And I feel like that when I was talking to my mom, I was talking from inexperience and immaturity and she had been there. You know, it's easy for us on the outside to kind of say those things, but man, I'm thoroughly enjoying the journey. I get what you're talking about being reflective. I'm almost 49 turning here in a couple months and and I'm right there with you. I find that my, when I reflect, I'm writing way more than I had in the past and, you know, and I'm, I'm scripting things and I'm constantly thinking about past experiences and thinking about how I was as a son versus how I'm raising my son and, you know, my daughter and just reflecting so much on my parents and we're getting ready to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Mm. And it just, there's a lot that just kind of rocks my world right now. You know, yeah. you sit back and you're just like, man, time <laughs> has gone by so quickly. Yes, sir, brother. <laughs> Awesome. So, all right. Question number four. If your house was on fire, what two items besides your family would you grab on your way out? My pets? I have three dogs. I, I can't, I'm going to have to grab both, all three of them in, in one swoop. I'm a dog person. I love dogs. So yeah, I mean, it would be my dogs. I get three of them. That'd be the what first. What kind of dogs are they? Australian Shepherds. They're not oh. standard. They're miniature or even okay. somewhat toy-like. They're smaller in breed. 
but amazing. Smart, intelligent, loyal. Other than they shed a lot, <laughs> that's the only mm-hmm. downside. But yeah, three Australian Shepherds is, is who would be the first thing I would make sure I grab besides the family. Wow. We've had an Australian Shepherd before. Our first dog that my wife and I had, we had been married. I don't even know if we'd been married a year and we swore we weren't having kids and we weren't going to have a dog. And then one actually came strolling out of a cornfield and he was damaged. Somebody had abused him, mm-hmm. cut, caked in mud. And I'm like, nope, you're mine. Washed him up, you know, couldn't have been any more than one. I mean, yeah, great dogs, great yeah. dogs. We have a golden retriever now. His name's Teddy, named after number 26, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Yes. But uh, he's a great dog. I love it, brother. All right, finish it up. Okay, your last one. Kevin, what did your bedroom look like when you were in high school? Oh, man, royal blue. So if you haven't picked out my background here, it was almost just like this, I did, minus the gradient. Royal Blue had a, you know, a, I guess the uh, state-of-the-art speaker systems back then, you know, <laughs> dual dual cassette tapes so I oh, could, yeah. like, record, you know, from one to the other, mix and mix tapes. Lots of things about, for me, as we, you know, you're a basketball guy, I was a football guy, I was a football and a baseball guy, so anything with sports and, you know, medals from my track days when I was in middle school and elementary and different things like that on the mm-hmm. walls, not too many posters or things like that. A lot of sports memorabilia. I was in the trading cards and different things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, man. And then uh, a TV and one of those phones. And I don't know what, but they're clear where you can like see through all of the phones. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. They light up. <laughs> yeah. When they light up, definitely had one of those. And I had a phone number, 210 673 1942. I still remember it. I had my own phone number with my own phone line wow. in my room because my parents were like, get his own phone. So to have my own phone in the room with my own number, yeah, that w- I was pretty pretty spoiled. The kids would say that's bougie. Oh, yes, <laughs> definitely. That would have been back then. It was definitely bougie. Mark, you know what's not bougie? These questions, man. I love getting to know you. Just like for our episode, this is Connections Before Content. We do this in the GTKY format. And if you're interested in finding out more questions, you can head over to RCL first, rclfirst.com, and you can either click on the orange link and get 28 GTKY questions that you can take back into the classroom to use with your kids. And they have some would you rathers and other good ones in there. Or if you want to start joining our weekly circles, Denise Circle Holiday Mama, a uh, circle. Mama Holiday, my co-founder, she circles Monday evenings, Thursday evenings, and Saturday mornings. If you want to join the circles, you don't even need to know anything about circles. You just want to join other educators and feel valued, seen, and heard. Head over to the site and click on the orange button that says join the weekly circle or join circle time. And then click on that. You'll get a Zoom link and you can connect with us through that way. All right. That's out of the way. Mark Horner. Man, you know, when I read a little bit about, you know, your teaching, I, so I taught integrated physics, biology, chemistry, speech, health, but mostly middle school and high school. So high school science predominantly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have a heart for secondary teachers because that's primarily what I did. So for those that don't know, can you just give them a quick rundown of who you are and what you teach and where you're at? So Mark Horner and I teach advanced placement, U.S. history and psychology at Talmadge High School. So my my AP history class is a 10th grade class. It's their very first advanced placement class that they take in their high school career. And then my 11th and 12th graders, I have an elective, a psychology elective. And I've been up here at the high schools for probably, I've been teaching for 20, this is my 22nd year. So I, I spent five years at the middle school teaching eighth grade American history. And then I was moved from the, high, the middle school to the high school. My the superintendent at the time actually asked me if I was interested in going to the high school and I'm like, 
Dr. Fran Martino, I'm not interested. We just found out we were expecting our first kid, our first child, Kelsey. I just started my master's program and I just bought a house. I'm like, that's way too many changes in one year. And he goes, well, Mark, we thought we'd give you the option, but you're going anyways. And so they moved me, <laughs> <laughs> they moved me up to the high school and I have absolutely love, I love it up here at the high school. You know, that's, I laugh at that story, Mark, because I cannot imagine, you know, this is my 22nd year too, is like how many times have decisions been made above us outside of our pay grade and whether we have influence on that or not. But I love the attempt of giving you a, a you know, a kind of a say so and, yeah. you know, in your next step or not, you know, yeah, that just sounds like a central office move right there. <laughs> I worked in a district one time, Mark, where it, it was like for the administrators, I swear it was like either they put all the names and they just like shook them up and then they decided where they would land. But it was like free agency. Principals would stay in the district, but all of a sudden you're a principal on this campus or you're, mm-hmm. you're a vice principal over here. or you're, And it was just like you always get nervous because mm-hmm. you just had no control over where you're going to be. So you're at the high school. Let me ask you a question. Between the two, middle high, middle school and high school, what do you see as the difference and which one do you really feel like you're drawn to more, middle school or high school? Well, I'm definitely drawn to high school more. Now, I do get my middle school filled, though, filled because I, I teach or I coach eighth grade basketball. And with those eighth graders, you know, I've kind of been tied into the middle school for a long time. And interestingly enough, because of social distancing and COVID, they actually moved the eighth grade up here to the high school. So now I see these kids who potentially could be playing, they got to make it through tryouts, you know, but the ones who will be playing for me, I see them almost every single day. But I enjoyed my time at the middle school. Eighth grade was was fun. You know, they come in at the beginning of the year and they're little kids. They go home during Christmas break. They come back, you know, young men and young women. They still laugh at your corny jokes, but then you can have some, you know, pretty adultish like conversations with them. So, I, I mean, I enjoyed that. I, I had a good time down there, and I did not think I would like the high school as much as I do. Mm. But now that I'm up here, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think the biggest reason, this is one of the reasons why I click so well with your podcast and your mission. I'm a very relationship-driven person, and I spend an incredible amount of time developing relationships with my students because when I was in school, I didn't have a lot of those and I did not succeed in school academically. I struggled a lot as a student. And so when I finally decided on becoming a teacher, that was part of my mission. I just wanted to help that kid who didn't feel like they belonged in school and they couldn't find a spot. I just wanted to help them along and kind of love on them and just just help them realize that, you know, they can do it, they can succeed and that they're valuable and that they're here for a purpose and just, just kind of help them along. So, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time. I love your questions that you, I actually got on your website about a week and a half ago to look at your questions. And I love those questions. I've been using them in class and we've had great opening, you know, when the bell rings and we start talking about these different, very, some of them are odd questions, but the kids love them. But you know, it, you're getting more insight into who they are as a person, what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what gets them fired up, what are they passionate about? And then these kids, then they start to share. And so I, I love the high school. I love working with high school students and challenging them and pushing them beyond what they think they can do. So I'm very happy being at the high school level. Thank you for sharing that. I felt the same way. I was just the most, that was where I was the most comfortable. I felt like maybe in, oh man, maybe when I was on, I was interviewing Dave Schmidt, that we were talking and, and something came to me because he was, he talks about how the middle school and how he's a middle school student. Mm-hmm. And I was like talking to Dave and I just realized, like, I think when I went to the middle school, 
I just forgot to look at him the same way. And I let my perspective change. So therefore, I didn't do the same thing. I didn't build the same relationships. I didn't focus on the same connections that I did when I was at the high school. I love the fact that I was able to build those relationships. What you just described for me at the middle school, as you said, so my middle school experience was typically sixth, seventh, and eighth all on the same campus, right? And so I saw sixth graders come in as little fifth graders, as you said, and then second semester, they become more of a sixth grader, right? Mm -hmm. Then uh, same thing happens in seventh grade. And then I saw eighth grade, you know, they would come in as an eighth grader and second semester, you know, almost be ready to be a freshman. And so you have one foot in and one foot out of that previous and that next, in that current to next grade. So I believe that the challenge though, particularly for some of our kids is, as you pointed out, how do we build those relationships? So since you say you focus on it, I would love to give our listeners some maybe concrete or specific examples of how Mark Horner builds and, and builds relationships and connections with kids. From the very first day, I years ago, I stopped doing the traditional syllabus, let's talk about rules and all that other stuff, which just really drives a wedge. I, I kind of adopted a slogan every day the first day. What I wanted is I wanted every kid to come in here excited every day and want to be here. And so as soon as they're here, I mean, I greet them at the door. I'm that teacher that plays the music out in the hallways. It's been a little bit culture shock up and down this hallway because I got moved as a result of COVID and I'm in, in a different room. I got music playing. I'm out there. I'm, I'm fist bumping or elbow bumping as many kids as I possibly can, just talking to them, handing out candy. And, and I mean, I just, I try to create an inviting atmosphere. So when they walk in, there's already an aura of comfort. And then I take whatever time I feel led at the beginning of every block, we're on a four by four block, but I'll take five minutes or I'll take 20 minutes, whatever I feel led to, to ask them those questions and to have them recap their weekend or talk about the game that they played in or talk about the performance that they were in or talk about a success or a failure in their life. And I just give them time to talk. And, you know, and I, I provide coffee for the kids and snacks because I want them, I just want whatever need it is that they need met, I want it to be met in here. And this, this stems from Kevin, I'll just be honest with you, it stems from my faith. I'm a very faith-driven person and that's my, you know, I just, I just want to love and I want to love unconditionally like you're talking about. And so I don't care what the kid's struggling with and I don't care whatever the issue might be, when they're in this classroom, I make it my number one priority to make them feel like this is their home and that they're part of something special. So I hand out compliments. I hand out, I give them opportunities to stand up and display whatever talent. I've had kids bring in guitars or flutes or trumpets or play, you know, if they rap, I, I, I'm like, you need to show up. We're pulling a YouTube video up right now. You know, last semester I had a kid who nobody knew he had a YouTube video out. I'm like, dude, Jason, this stuff is like, this is good stuff. We're playing it. And then we just talked through the lyric process with him. You know, how, why did he write the lyrics that he did and just put him on, you know, let him shine and whatever, you know, what in the areas that these kids are strong in. So I'm just very intentional. And, and that's why I love, again, like what you're talking about, because kids don't have an opportunity to really share who they are and they don't have a chance to talk about what they're truly passionate about. And I'll tell them, I'll ask them, what are you passionate about? And they'll give me the superficial thing. And then I'll just say, no, 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 peel back the layers. Nobody else knows this. What are you really passionate about? Just share, you can share freely. And then let's just figure out how we can tie it into the curriculum. Let's figure out how we can take what you're really passionate about and create a lesson around it. Or, you know, it's the part that I just enjoy. I mean, it, it, the relationship, I really believe, 
you know, Teddy Roosevelt said it best. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Mm -hmm. I've had tremendous success in my advanced placement class. The kids' scores are way off the charts in regards to the national average. And I believe the reason be, it's not because I'm, you know, a super history teacher and I know all this stuff. I truly believe it's because I invest so much time in making them feel comfortable and tearing down walls in this classroom so that they can talk about what they're struggling with. And there's this fraternity type of a mentality in here that when they start letting their guards down, they start growing as a student and they accept failure and they learn from it. And then we all grow together. So when I hear you describe that, Mark, I mean, you've heard me say this valued, seen, heard. Now, you know, trusted, belonging. I mean, you're you're checking off the boxes that I think every student wanted, even when we were in school, we didn't get it, but mm -hmm. it's now becoming a little bit more of the norm and expectation of these students. Yeah. So flip it, Mark, what happens when you hear teachers that are listening to this right now, and I'm sure you've had them in your life in 22 years, Mark, that say, I don't have time for that, or that's just a bunch of waste of time or whatever, something, something negative to your approach. You know, and I'm not saying to combat them, but typically how would you respond when somebody talks about like, that's not gonna work or too much time or whatever the barriers are for them to digest that mm -hmm. mindset or approach. It's interesting, you know, we talk about our stage in life and we talk about, you know, you get to this point and you get a lot more courageous, don't you? I was not the same teacher when I was, you know, I started teaching a little bit late because I took the extended route to get here. But, you know, at the age of 28 and 29, I was very different than I am, you know, here as, you know, almost a 49 year old. I'm very passionate and I really believe now, and I read not, not long ago that, you know, passion goes hand in hand with courage. You know, you have to be courageous and you gotta do things that are very different. And I do things that are different. And when somebody talks to me about it, because I get it. I mean, there are people that stare at me and they look at me and they think that, you know, things that I do are a little bit outside the box or a little bit odd. When I talk to them, I, I just say, hey, listen, just try it. Just try it once. And, and maybe look at the temperature of your classroom and look at the involvement that you're getting from your students. You know, what kind of relationship have you 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 established with them. I've got the numbers with my AP class, you know, to prove that when you spend time engaging in relationships, kids will still step up and they'll perform. Mm -hmm. and, and there's, I mean, the advanced placement US history course is one of the, I mean, that test is one of the most rigorous and demanding tests that are out there. And yet every day I spend time with these kids, giving them an opportunity to talk and, and to engage in that relationship. So I would just challenge teachers to, to do it, to try it. I had a conversation not long ago with a fellow educator who was in a, in a little bit of a kind of a stagnant and stable position. And they were wondering what can they do to kind of revive and kind of kickstart what's going on in their classroom. And I went right to the relationships. I'm like, dude, listen, just ask the kids questions. Just ask them, just talk to them and find out what it is that they love. And then maybe go home and Google it and come back the next day and, and talk about the next season in Fortnite or talk about, you know, COD and use, use their language a little bit and just get that fire going. And next thing you know, when you respect those kids that you kind of want to silence, right? The ones who are a little bit of, cause a little bit of trouble or are disengaged. Once you start respecting them and getting into what they're passionate about, then suddenly they're going to pay attention in class and they're going to do their work and they're going to try to meet your expectations. What I hear when you have this conversation with this educator I go back to episode one, Joe Beckman, right? Or mm -hmm. Ordinary versus extraordinary. Yeah. We jumped into that because 
we were saying the word vulnerable, whatever it's, it's, I guess it's like the word moist. It drives, you know, people, oh, it's uncomfortable <laughs> for whatever reason. But what you were asking him to be was ordinary. And mm-hmm. I happened to be listening to Brene Brown's podcast today, and she's starting a new one called Dare to Lead. So, and it's only going to be on Spotify, but she posted her first episode on her Unlocking Us. And one of the things, sorry, I'm kind of diverting our oh, conversation, Mark. But one of Brene things, Brown, you can go whatever direction. Yeah, I know. So with Brene, what she was talking about is, is to be courageous is to be vulnerable. And, 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 and I was driving today and I'm like, why is it so hard for people in general, but teachers, if you know that you're uncomfortable being, let's just, whatever it is, vulnerable to a certain extent, and you know that that's not your strength. And I'm not going to be a Mark Horner outside the box. I'm not going to be a Joe Beckman, Kevin Curtis. I'm not going to be these guys, right? I'm not going to be them. Then how do you figure out how to be ordinary, but be you? You know, at least Joe gave us the F-O-R-D, right? Family, you know, occupation, recreation, or dream. At least he gave us a, a direction. But like you're just pointing out, Mark, it's like sometimes we're like, hey, just ask the kids questions listen to this, go home and research it, come back and kind of learn a little bit more about them. Because when you learn more about them, you're showing and modeling that you care about their interests. So like, mm-hmm. that's all it takes. And so sometimes it's vulnerable and sometimes it's just showing an interesting that you care about them. But when Brene was talking today, she was really talking about like, courage is and takes vulnerability, you know? And what are your thoughts? Like, what are some of the barriers or what are your thoughts on, why do we struggle being vulnerable? I'll just leave it at that. Well, Brene Brown is one of my favorites. And I was actually, it's so funny how this aligns. My kids, I assigned her the power of vulnerability TED Talk. That's one of their assignments that they have to do by Friday. They got to read it and reflect. And Dare to Lead is the book that my daughter, who is a senior, and the other leaders in action, we have a group called Leaders in Action. That's the book they're going through for their book study. Her work is so influential. And, and, you know, this issue of vulnerability, and I talk to my kids about it all the time. We talked about the definition in class, you know, kind of opening yourself up to ridicule and to be made fun of, but being honest about who you are. It is tough, especially as a teacher, when you're supposed to be the expert, when you're up there in front of the classroom and you need to be the one who sometimes you kind of feel like you're controlling the future of your students. And if you admit any sign of weakness, then they're going to lose faith in you. Our superintendent, he made an amazing suggestion years ago. And he goes, you know what? He told me this. He goes, Mark, keep a little index card in your pocket. And when a kid asks a question that you don't know, look him in the eye and say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll look it up and write it on that index card. Now, this is back before the smartphone and all that other stuff. But that always stuck with me. You know, he's like, listen, you need to admit that you're not the expert. And then you need and for them to see you that way it goes a long way. It makes them realize that it's okay to not know and it's okay to not be okay. But sometimes teachers just kind of get consumed with that. You know, I need to be what Che Cheney says, you know, I need to be the sage on the stage, right? They don't realize that kids need vulnerability and you need to model vulnerability for them. They need to know how to relate and share and lead in that capacity. Yeah, see, that's what I took away from Trevor Taylor's episode. He was like, Kevin, if it has to start with me, Kids aren't going to walk into a room and go, all right, I'm ready to be vulnerable. I'm ready to build relationships. They're going to be like, all right, you know, it's like a chess match. You go first. And how you set the tone. 
And so it goes back to what you were saying, Mark, I'm in the hallway. I'm, you know, I give out candy, I music, whatever it is, right? Like the kids are watching because they're waiting to see where you're at. And if you go vulnerable, well, then they'll go vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If you go outside the box, they'll go outside the box when you, and so it's so interesting. They're just waiting for you to make the first move. It's just crazy because when you started this first, you started to respond, Mark, I didn't want to interrupt, but it was like, but here's the deal. You said, you know, we're, we have to be in control. We have to know the answers and blah, blah, blah. I guess what I'm saying is, where does that come from? Because it's like, whoever is putting out the, the factory of teachers, mm -hmm. why are we not getting in front of that, right? As if they had an operating system, right? And we inject the operating system with saying, and don't forget to be vulnerable and yeah. don't forget to build relationships and don't forget to do this because- in my opinion, and I'm entitled to it at this point, I don't see any educators coming out, not just knowing that, but being told that these are going to be impactful and influential, right? I call it the educator keys. I gave an analogy in a training one time. I said, can I borrow your keys? And they were like, yeah. And I started using this and I said, look, when you first got into education, they told you, hey, you have to have a lesson plan. You have to have a lesson management plan, you, you know, are all the keys, right? And I said, and then on this set of keys, Somebody, you know, you knew in your heart of heart, you're going to have to love kids, empathize, connect with them, right? But nobody ever talked about those keys. Mm -hmm. And I said, and then what happens is, is you start out the school year and in your educator set of keys, they're going to talk about lesson plans and data assessments and standardized mm -hmm. scores and benchmarks and all of these things. And they may mention those keys a couple of times, but then as the school gets started, they're never even going to talk about those other keys again. And what educators, in my opinion, after you've been in it 5, 10, 20 years, they just take them off, Mark, because I'm not evaluated on it. There's no accountability for this. I hear it. It's on the T-shirt. It's at the bottom of an email. It's at the end of the faculty meeting. Hey, Mark, don't forget, you know, connect with kids. You know, we say it, but we don't build a systemic approach and we don't get in front of it. And we don't tell our teachers that are coming out, hey, not only do I expect you to help them be successful in history, but I ex expect you to be successful in building relationships and getting to know your kids and those types of things, right? And I'm like, we know it's important, but we don't implement it. There's right. no systemic approach and there's no accountability around it. And I know you've heard me say this. That's why I say, you know, the rock of relation, you're going to build your school on a rock of relationships or the sand of initiatives. We would rather go out and buy a bunch of programs and and lesson-based curriculums to address social-emotional needs and trauma and culture and diversity, which are all great, mm -hmm. but they, bl they blend relationships and they give a teacher another sense of false power because I'm going to go over this lesson on empathy today. And in here, it has our objective and it tells me, you know, I'm going to do this for X amount of minutes and then five minutes later, we're going to have this discussion and blah, blah, blah. But when you put it under that context of a lesson base, it just reinforces that I'm a teacher mm -hmm. instead of saying, we're going to talk about empathy today and I'm going to model it. And I'm going to tell you a time that I had to be empathetic, right? And I don't even need to lead a lesson base. And then it's just a GTKY question. You know, have you ever experienced anyone being empathy? You know, have you ever seen it? Something like that. That's why I'm like, why can't we just get a chance to know each other before we try to like take on these heavy lesson based curriculums that, that are needed but mm -hmm. I want before I talk about race or culture or diversity or anything else, I want to kind of get to know you first, right? Like you talked about that date. I want to date you first. What are your thoughts? Man, I, I tell you what, as my one friend says, I smell what you're walking through right now, man. <laughs> I, I tell you, you got me fired up because I have a, a lot of things that are just kind of brewing. But, you know, my one word, 
I have a couple one words. You kind of see them behind here, behind me. Um, you know, but the one that I adopted on, the, on January 1st was being intentional. And, and I think a lot of times people lose sight of that. You have to be very, very intentional in all that you do. When you're winning the morning, when you wake up and you win the morning, you know, you have to be intentional about it. And you got to make sure you're feeding the positive dog, right? You got to feed your mind what the important stuff. And then you got to take time to keep yourself healthy and, and your mindset healthy so that when you do step into the classroom, you're bringing the best version of yourself to your kids. And I try so hard to model lifelong learning for my kids and not in what I'm teaching, but in how to become the best version of myself. And as I do that, you know, you talk about being vulnerable. I tell them, listen, I am not having a good day. And this isn't, this isn't toxic positivity. I tell them all the time, man, life sucks right now. COVID sucks. You guys are so courageous in what you're facing and how you're handling this. This sucks. And if I were in high school dealing with what you're dealing with, I wouldn't handle it anywhere near as well as you are. But let's talk about what we can do. How can we grow just 1% today? What can we do to become better humans? How can we contribute to the culture of our school and just be, uh, just, just give a little bit and serve a little bit more? And, and so I'm very intentional about that. And I also know that if I stop doing what I'm doing now, I'll backslide. I'll backslide. I'll fall into that same stagnant but stable vacuum that so many people are in. And I don't want to go there. I spent a portion of my time there. I choose not to go that direction. So whether I'm in a valley or I'm at a peak, I just keep pushing. I keep pushing. And that, for me, honestly, has been the silver lining from the quarantine and COVID and all this. March 13th, I was thrown for a loop like everybody else. Like, what am I going to do? Shortly after there, you mentioned Dave. Dave invited me to Men and Ed. And I was surrounded by all of you guys who hold me accountable, whether I'm having personal conversations with you or not, just the, the positive messages and the videos, uh, you know, people who are, are like-minded, they're kind of feeding my spirit. They're feeding that positive dog. And then the friendships that have evolved, and I've got people in my life who I've given permission to call me out if I'm not living the way that I need to, and I'm not leading and teaching the way that I need to. And I tell my kids all the time, you need to do that. You need to find somebody right now who's going to call you out when you're becoming an energy vampire, right? When you're kind of sucking the life out of the room, who's going to call you out? We practice it in class. We practice those basic fundamental things that, that so many people take for granted. But it's, you know, I do it for them, but I also do it for myself so that I can continue to lead them the right way. But teachers have to be intentional. You know, teaching to me is not a profession. It's a calling. It is a calling. It is the greatest calling. I feel that I'm here for a reason. And, you know, I believe God's got me in the classroom because he's got a mission for me. And that mission is to love these kids, lead them and, and help provide opportunity for them to, to live successful lives. And so when you lose sight of what your purpose is, and it doesn't, it's not a calling anymore, it suddenly becomes, you know, your eight to five job and I get my summers off, man, then this place becomes, it becomes dead. And our universities and colleges are doing a little bit of a disservice. I look back on all my college classes, very few of them did emphasize, emphasize relationships. Now I had one at Kent State, just down the road from here. I had a professor, Dr. Lolly, she's no longer there, but she and many of the other professors that I had there really pushed me towards understanding the value of relating to kids. They were pretty progressive and pretty dynamic. This is actually my master's classes that I took. You know, I remember Dr. Lolly said, you need to go home and you need to subscribe to Rolling Stone magazine. You need to get an edition of Rolling Stone every month mailed to your house so that you can read it and see what's going on with your kids. 
you know, there's that relatability factor in understanding where they're at. You know, she's the one who talked about, you know, setting, sitting down with these kids and taking the deadlines off and saying, hey, listen, I know what's going on in your life. When you get the assignment in, get the assignment in. Let's talk about the bigger issues. What are you dealing with? What's holding you back? Why are you, why are you struggling? And so she modeled that way before people were talking about, you know, relationships and, and emphasizing it. But it boils down, honestly, Kevin, it boils down to my why. You know, years ago, I crafted a why. And of course, every year I revisit it and I, and I add to it. But the number one point in my why is to establish relationships. That's number one. And I focus on it each and every day. And I use this as a way to, to establish relationships with those kids. Gone are the days of not smiling till Christmas. You remember that stuff? Oh, I, that's why I always joke. I'm saying, who came up with that? And I, I guess know. that's, I know, I guess that's kind of where I was going, right? And a great response. But I guess that's what I'm thinking, right? Like, you know, you came in with this new approach of your new why, right? And you're like, relationships first. Hence, rclfirst.com. I mean, that's what we did. We were going to preach relationships first, hence relationships centered. And I can tell you, Mark, I didn't have the intentionality that I obviously have now. I knew when I was teaching that relationships were important, but I didn't intentionally build in structures, times, events. I didn't order Rolling Stone. I didn't ask the questions. I didn't go research. It just naturally came into me being a coach and a teacher at the high school. I just built relationships. I can't describe it. It just, mm-hmm. it was natural for me. I was like RCL, but I was relationship-centered living. I lived through relationships. That's how I live. Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting. I believe that education is going to continue to struggle with putting relationships first, like Mark Corner does in his class and like I do in my life, until not only are we intentional until education is intentional until it's intentionally put into those classes and having teachers prepared until our teachers are held accountable for saying, Hey, I love your scores, but also how are your connections and holding accountable. And then as Dave and I were talking about, he, he, you know, he kind of threw something at me. He said, not only that, but you know, one of the reasons why it's not also is because it's not measurable. We're so used to measuring stuff And then his last piece he told me, and I will tell you this, this was really interesting. He threw me for a loop on this one, Dave did, Mark. He said, when you put something like an official structure of RCL on their plate, what are you taking off? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, what what do you, and and I've always preached when I go to teach this, I'm always like, hey, we don't want to be one more thing on your plate, Mark Corner. You know, we're coming to your campus, but you know, at the end, your plate is relationships. And, and he said, ah, Kevin, that all sounds great. BS. He was like, I'm going to tell you real simple. If you put something on your teacher's plate, you better take something off and you better tell them what you're taking off mm-hmm. so that they specifically know, okay, I now in my mind have time to do this. What's your thoughts when, when you hear that approach about when something comes on, something's got to come off? It's very real. I mean, it's, you know, in in the classroom, things change on a daily basis and there's always something coming down the wire that you've got to, you've got to incorporate, that you got to familiarize yourself with. I get how exhausting it can be for some teachers. And it's very easy to just want to just say, okay, I'm going to do the bare minimum and get through the day and then get to the weekend because it is exhausting. And especially now with, you know, trying to navigate technology and how to how do you connect with students virtually how do you keep up with the curriculum like we're on a hybrid and i stress out about how am i going to get through all the information and then when you know an administrator comes and says okay well we're going to put you on this committee or we're going to emphasize this it just the wall starts squeezing in 
and they really do. It, it is tough. And I think what, what has to happen is sometimes you got to be overt and you got to just say, okay, this is the empathy. We're going to emphasize relationships and we're going to sit through RCL training and we're going to all become better at this. But then I also think sometimes you got to be covert. And that's where the modeling becomes so important. When you see your administrators modeling that with you, you know, when an administrator sits down with me and asks me how I'm doing, I almost feel like it frees me up to walk into the classroom and ask the kids how they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember back when I was in another building at another time, I, you know, I had kids, you know, talk about going back to the old days. I remember I had a whole bunch of kids around a dry erase board and I was drawing things on the dry erase board to, to kind of model things. They had nothing to do with academics, but guess what? I had 10 kids around me, 10 kids standing, asking me questions and I'm drawing things up. It was actually a basketball play, but I was explaining to all my kids what we were doing. Administrator came in, saw me, yelled at me, and then wrote me up for it. Mm -hmm. And I tried to explain, listen, I actually was just trying to connect with them. I was just trying to talk to them about something and he wanted nothing to do with it. You know, at that point, then I just wanted to kind of crawl into the shell and say, all right, fine, let's just get through the curriculum. So what you just illustrated is exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. When relationships, when we're not held accountable for it, and in fact, we're not only accountable for it, for it we're, 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 we're degraded or marked down or written up for, oh my God, I'm sorry, principal, you walked in and we're building relationships. I mean, because I know you know a little bit about our story, but like in 2012, when we were that first school piloting restorative practices at White Middle School, I told my teachers, all right, we're working on this, you know, we're, we want you, and there's an ex, there was an expectation for them to facilitate community building circles on a, on a whatever basis, right? And so I told them, if I walk in with my laptop and then I was supposed to do a quick walkthrough on evaluation for academics, right? And you're in a circle, they were like, what do we do? I said, you don't do anything. I put my lap up, laptop up and I said, because we came up with this phrase, if you're in the room, you're in circle and I have to join you. And I said, so they said, so you're not going to write us up. I said, not only am I not going to write you up, I'm going to give you a high five and celebrate the fact that mm -hmm. you are taking the class time to intentionally build community. But, you know, it's like the amygdala, you know, fight or flight. You have to take a couple positive layers on that to go, okay, so he truly means that. So, you know, it's so simple, Mark, because as you just pointed out, this really isn't hard. If I have an administrator, a leader that says, hey, how are you doing? Hey, focus on connections with each other. And I want to focus on connecting with you. Then you're like, okay, he modeled that to me. I'm going to go in my classroom and I'm going to do the same thing with my kids. And then if I model that, then the kids are going to fall. Oh, he wants to get to know us. And it's a systemic approach and it just starts from the top down, which is why I've said out of all the campuses and I've worked with over 150 in the five years, districts, and that's not campuses because some districts we've had 40 or 50, is every campus that I have noticed the ability to accelerate past the other campuses, I always look back and say, notice that that principle is modeling, supporting, and is what has two feet in. They're two feet in in relationships first. Mm -hmm. And so what I started to notice, Mark, was, is at the end, towards you know, those last couple of years, I'd say, okay, you want me to come to your school? Great. What I'm going to need from you is before we get started, they need to hear from you, not your assistant principal, not from your counselor, not from the lead teacher, from you, the top dog, right? Male or female, I want you to tell them your why. Why am I here? Why, why is Kevin and his team here today? And then what is the expectation? And what, are you okay with this? Because you've heard me say this, power and permission 
is that all of a sudden the principal says, hey, the reason that I got Kevin and his team here is because we are going to really focus on relationships and we've been winging it. That's why I came up with that phrase. You can't wing relationships. Mm-hmm. We're going to be very intentional. He's going to give us structures of 60 second relay breaks, two minute connections, 90 second spark plans. We're only going to work on three tools. So the only thing I could take away after talking to Dave now would be, okay, and because we're putting these three tools on your plate, I'm taking A, B, C, or X, Y, Z away so that you have time to do this. Like that was the biggest aha nugget I took away from our conversation with Dave was, but then imagine, Mark, if a principal says this and isn't just blowing smoke and all of a sudden they're doing it and they're modeling it and they're coming in your classrooms and seeing it and all these other things, it's called what I call the contagion effect. It's like when you put seasonings in a pot and it just starts taking hold of that entire meal, right? What is your thoughts when you hear that kind of culture and, and climate in, in a campus and classrooms? Our normal pursuit. I mean, aren't we, tr- we're trying to become the best versions of ourselves, and that needs to translate into, into the school and the campus. You know, what can we do to make it the best possible environment for our kids? And so when I hear about that, you know, kind of contagion type, type of a mindset, I mean, it's, it's needed. It's valuable. It has, it has to happen. And I think, you know, while we're talking, I, I don't know, I have my own little podcast. I don't know if you knew this. Oh, you better share this, buddy. So it's kind of funny. And I'm going to tell you the reason why I, I put it together. It kind of goes back, kind of full circle to where we were at, where so many teachers just come in and they do their thing. And, and then very few kids get to know them. So in a very covert manner, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make those relationships kind of contagious throughout the building. I, it's part of my mission to try to help every possible kid, whether I have them in class or not. So a few years ago, I modeled a little talk show in my classroom. I called it Between Two Ferns, named after mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis' Between Two Ferns. And I would just pull a teacher or a student and I would just interview them. It's so one of the things I did just to get to know kids. And I'd put them on a stool and I'd sit on a stool and I'd try to mimic Zach Galifianakis and I'd, I had two ferns and all, had the music and everything just to try to, you know, break the ice. And one day I pulled a teacher in and I interviewed the teacher. The kids fell in love with it. They couldn't believe all these things that their, their teacher was human. Their teacher had successes and failures. They had a life, you know, all of this. So as this continued, and of course, you got to understand, I listen to podcasts like crazy. I, I tell my kids, I go to podcast university every day. You know, that's why I'm listening all the time. I told my wife, I want to start a podcast. So last Christmas, she bought me a microphone and I procrastinated. And finally, I got on Amazon and I actually saw the price of the microphone. And I'm like, oh, man, alive, that's expensive. I better put a podcast out. So I did my Between Two Ferns, but I just called it Between Two Blue Devils because that's our mascot. Mm-hmm. And it was just a quick pivot because I couldn't use his name, you know, his, his show. And I put a teacher next to me and I started interviewing them and asking them all of these questions and, and finding out what their hobbies were and the names of their kids and, and what they loved and what they were like in high school and what their pet peeves are. Just all of these questions. And it, it took off. You know, I'm in the season two and I make my kids listen to them. You know, I actually assigned them, assigned, I'm like, no, I don't care about the number of listens. You don't have to get on and review the podcast. I want you to listen to your teachers, who they are as human beings. And these kids, I mean, you take these stu- these teachers who very seldom tell much about themselves, put them in a room behind a microphone and they, and they become vulnerable. Right. And, and their kids are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're a metalhead. I can't believe you love Tupac. I can't believe your favorite, my favorite food's pizza, you know? But it's just kind of a, a covert way for me to break down some of those barriers that hold 
teachers back from making that relationship with their kids and having that relationship with their kids. Because it really is true. If every classroom in this hallway and throughout this building, if the teachers are investing in those kids and getting to know them, number one, you're saving a life. That moment that you take just to invest in that kid, it may be a minute. It could possibly be what saves that kid's life. It could be what you know, catapults that kid into becoming the next engineer or serving their country valiantly or having the courage to go and apply for the job that they don't think that they're qualified for. It could save them from their next bout with anxiety. It could, it could give them, I mean, it, it could build that security around them that they so desperately need. Every second with them is important. And so every class has to be that culture. It has to have that environment. Gone are the days where you can come in and just do the factory style bull crap. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You've got to invest. And now more than ever, man, with COVID, holy smokes, these kids need us. They need us more, more than ever. So I actually think I heard one of your episodes one time because as soon as you said between two two blue devils, is that what it's right? That's what it is, yeah. Yeah, so I want our listeners and we'll make sure we get that in the show notes. But no, I actually think I heard an episode and I think this was before we even like met Men and Ed. I heard an episode, but I want to say you were interviewing a former student. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was something Brian about Cook. a yeah, so I, I it's so oh, funny. Wow. It's so funny, Mark. I heard that before I ever even kind of knew you, met you, but I listened to that episode. So she said that I'm like, wait a minute, I have a pretty good memory. I think I listened to that podcast. Well, hey, brother, I know as we're starting to wrap up, because again, I want to be respectful of your time. So a couple of questions. One, 22 years, if you had to go back and tell yourself something, you know, whisper back to that mark back a year one, what would you tell? the first year mark from the 22 year mark? Oh man, where do I begin? (laughs) I think the first thing I would tell myself back then is that you're qualified, you're good enough. Mm. You're good enough. Kevin, I, I still struggle to this very day. You wanna talk about vulnerability? I barely made it through high school and I flunked out of college. I mean, it takes a lot to flunk out of the University of Akron. I flunked out and I had to sit out I came back, I struggled with like a lot of insecurities as far as my intellect and, and my, my ability to just do school. And then I decided that I wanted to become a teacher. And that story is you know, funny in and of itself, how that, this whole thing evolved. I love basketball, I love to talk. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was like, listen, if you, if you wanna ever think about marriage, you gotta get things in order. And so I'm like, well, I love history. Let's teach history. I want to coach basketball. And, and I started pursuing that. And I did everything I could to get back in, to get my GPA up to where I could get into the College of Education at the University of Akron. And then I was ready to student teach. And I was assigned to a different school that I remember I was so excited. It was going to be at a high school and here in Summit County. And then I get called in by the guy who our, our student teacher assignment. And he told me, Mark, you're never going to be a teacher because your grades and you just, you're not taking this seriously. And that's not the type of candidate that we want representing us at this high school. So we're pulling you out. And I thought, well, what, wait, what am I going to do now? You know, where am I going to student teach? Well, we don't know. We'll see if we can even find a place for you. And Kevin, I kid you not, I went home thinking my world was crumbling and coming to an end. And my wife, who wasn't my wife, she's going to leave me. Right. And I walk into my apartment and that little light on that answer machine is blinking you know, and I hit play. And as a gentleman named Dick Fox, who taught eighth grade American history at Talmadge Middle School. And he's like, Mark, 
I got your application here. I've been waiting a couple weeks for you to respond. If you're not going to student teach here, then I'm going to find somebody else. You need to call me tomorrow and let me know if you're interested. I called him that second. And I'm like, I don't even remember applying at Talmadge. I don't remember, but I'll take it. And that began my journey here. I've been 22 years in Talmadge. I student taught. I became a permanent sub. I was immediately put into a teaching position. I didn't even have to interview for a job. I got, I, they put me in a classroom and I have been proudly serving here for 22 years, but I always deal with that insecurity. Even to this very day, man, even That's to this okay. very day. I'm with you. I walked away from student teaching in the middle of that, that fiance that gave me the surprise party. We had a mm-hmm. huge breakup. I was in my last semester of college at UTSA in the middle of student teaching, and I walked away from college, Mark. Wow. I walked away from college. It took me seven and a half years to graduate because I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. It devastated me. And then I moved to Colorado for a year. I started riding bulls. I started doing sheet metal (laughs) insulation. I was like, I was having a midlife crisis in my 20s, Mark. So no, brother, you, I doubted myself. And then I came back and said, okay, let's, let's finish up. And, but man, Mark, you know, there's just so much to each and every one of us. But I I will tell you this, I respect you for what you do. I I love the fact that you have found who you wanna be. And even though you struggle with confidence and even though you've surrounded yourself with the support system, Mark, just know, man, you are making a difference. This is why I wanted to have you on the show. This is why Dr. Prickett said, if I could have one person on this show, it'd be Mark Corner, brother. So I wanna thank you for what you continue to do for kids. I wanna thank you for continuing to inspire the people around you, and that includes me. And all I want to tell you is, is thank you. Thank you for your time. And I'm just going to give you the last message. Any closing words to our listeners? It's a cheers, Mark. My closing words are simply this. For those of you that are teachers, this is a calling. This is the greatest calling in the world. Even on your worst day, you are impacting lives and you're impacting lives for eternity. This is the greatest profession, the greatest, greatest calling. If you're a teacher, an administrator, or if you're, you know, influencing people like you, Kevin, and just pouring yourself into people and making them better versions of themselves. This is where it's at. And you are good enough and it's okay to not be okay right now. Embrace that vulnerability, share it with your kids and, and just watch them grow and flourish because we are impacting lives and it doesn't get any better than that. Kevin, I appreciate this time. I have deep admiration for you. That first podcast, I think I shot you a message I mean, you give me the chills every time I listen to your podcast. Oh, man. So your, your mission is on point, and it is, uh, it is, it's changing lives as well. You've changed mine, that's for sure. Thank you, brother, man. Well, thank you for the kind words, man. Thank you for your time. I'm going to continue to let you go, brother. Hey, man, I'll connect with you soon. All right. Sounds great, Kevin. Take care. 